Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Delta. I have got a story for you. I bet you do. <laughs> Today, we have a rivalry between two novelists. Oh, okay. Both openly gay, and they really affected gay culture. I would also say, despite putting out very similar work at the same time, these mm-hmm. two hated each other. It's very much there could only be one gay author in this town mm. vibes. <laughs> Our two rivals are Gore Vidal mm-hmm. and Truman Capote. As a kid, there were commercials for Vidal Sassoon. Mm-hmm. And so the word Sassoon to me looked like Salon. Okay. And then when yeah. I heard the name Gore Vidal, I thought, oh, Gore Vidal must have lent his name to Vidal Sassoon and right. that he must be a famous hairdresser. I Absolutely. really thought this as a child. I'm saying maybe under 10. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I really that. did. I thought he's a hairdresser. I honestly didn't know much about Gore Vidal. Like I knew the name and I knew uh-huh. he was like smarty guy gay Uh that's all i knew (laughs) until pretty recently i would say when i tell people about you i'm like smarty guy gay (laughs) kelsey that's kelsey there you go From Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries with me, Delta Work. And with me, Kelsey Padgett. Each week, I tell Delta the true story behind an infamous or an underrated rivalry with all the dramatic and sometimes petty twists and turns. And then I'll declare the winner, but not every story has a victor. Sometimes it's just about who loses more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we're going to learn all about Gore Vidal and Truman Capote. And I think people know Truman Capote more than they know Gore Vidal, mm-hmm. both considered to be excellent intellectuals and novelists, and both considered to be fabulists, meaning they exaggerate. And so mm-hmm. some of our story might be totally wrong, but we've got what you know we've got to go on is the things that Gore Vidal and Capote said about each right. other and about what happened. <laughs> well... Let me say, the story is filled with lots of stars, lots of fancy, fancy people. We've got Andy Warhol, the Kennedys, Johnny Carson, Amelia Earhart, Clark Gable, and even Eleanor Roosevelt. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with Gore Vidal, since we know a little less about him. Gore Vidal, he once said about himself, I am at heart a propagandist, a tremendous hater a tiresome nag, complacently positive that there is no human problem that could not be solved if people would simply do as I advise. Wow. So I know it's right. I'm also a hater. I love somebody who can say that about themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know. And and a tiresome nag. Oh, and I will say that Vidal, he resisted the title of gay which is interesting. Okay, He exclusively had sex with men and romantic relationships with men, but he did not like the title 
gay. He didn't really believe in labeling oneself. So we're going to call him gay, but I just want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he was born in 1925 into an upper-class family and was raised in Washington, D.C. His grandfather was a U.S. senator. His mother had a long off-and-on affair with the actor Clark Gable. Wow. Yeah. And his father was an Olympic athlete, and then he was Amelia Earhart's lover. This is already so complicated. Right? Okay. Amelia Earhart, I thought she was gay. Yeah, I so mean, did I. We think everyone's gay, you and me, but, uh, yeah, they <laughs> but are. come on, Amelia Earhart, I really thought. So v- Vidal was very serious and sharp. He was a quote-unquote respectable kind of guy, always wearing a suit. He wasn't any of the stereotypes we have, like feminine or flamboyant. He didn't like men who presented feminine. Sure. Like, and sure. Truman Capote does, so that'll come up later. So Vidal, he wrote his first novel when he was 19 after serving in the Army, and it was an Army novel, and it was published in 1946 when he was just 20 years old. It got great reviews, and it started him on his writing career. Two years later, he puts out his third book, and that book is called The City and the Pillar. Okay. And this novel is a huge thing because it's the first of its kind. The title is a reference to the biblical story Sodom and Gomorrah, which you may know of. Mm-hmm. It's where we get the word sodomy. From the title alone, we have some hints at what's going to be inside this book. It is unabashedly a story about a gay man coming of age and having gay sex throughout his life. And it doesn't characterize those events as acting against one's nature or as crimes or as sins. And this Mm. was, well, it was very new for (laughs) published books at the time in 1948 in the U.S., Previous to this, if you had a gay character in a book or movie, they would be killed or severely punished by the end of the story. And they would be, you know, portrayed as unnatural or um, bad for being gay. Right. And yeah, there is some violence in this book. We don't get a happy ending. (laughs) I feel like happy endings for gay people in books is something we're still working on today. But who is consuming this book at this time? Because... I can't imagine like tons of gay people are like, hey, we love this book and we're going to speak about it. We're just going to, you know, I would think that, I don't know, what, rich white ladies? Well, that's the thing, right? So he's putting this book out and, you know, he thinks the world is ready for this kind of thing. He thinks the rich white ladies are ready for it. This is serious literature to him. He's not writing like, you know, a pulp paperback. This is, I'm submitting it to the New York Times for a review. Right. And we'll get to the reception of it. But at the same time, the same month of the same year, another big gay book comes out, January 1948. This big gay book is called Other Voices, Other Rooms. And that is written by Truman Capote. Okay. So Capote, I'm sure you've heard of. Maybe you've seen the 2005 movie with Seymour Hoffman. I think of somebody small. Mm -hmm. I think of somebody sort of uh, almost cowering in a way, but then Mm. also... But then also sometimes shoulders back and just very, you know, a, a, a rose in the lapel and a, and a <laughs> hat and a hat that's tilted over one eye. And <laughs> yeah, what we would classify as very effeminate. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. So Capote, he's 5'3", 
And when he was young, he has this very cherubic face, very baby-like mm-hmm. features. He's compact. He was born in New Orleans in 1924, uh, same year as uh, Vidal. But unlike Vidal, he did not serve in World War II. He was drafted. But as he told a friend, he was, quote, turned down for everything, including the wax. And the wax are the Women's Army Corps. Damn. So that's a joke. He said that the army thought he was too neurotic to serve. So I guess he lucked out. At 17, he worked as a copy boy for the New Yorker. There is this description a coworker has of him that is just wild. A coworker described him as looking as exotic as an osprey, with his round face, his shoulder length blonde hair, and his occasional opera cape. Upon catching sight of him in the hallway for the first time, the magazine's editor cried out, For God's sake, what's that? I mean, that's a lot. It is a lot to take in at that time, I would I would definitely think. And that's <laughs> why, so. uh, obviously, Gore Vidal at the time is like rejecting it because he just is fearful yeah. of, of that sort of reaction. Yeah. I think a lot. I think even to this day, there are people that are fearful of that reaction. Absolutely. And- Being visibly queer is like it's on a whole different level. You're opening yourself up to ridicule. You're opening yourself up to, you know, hate. Right. Hopefully today there's less of that, but, you know, we still see it in a lot of places and in a lot of ways. Yep. So Capote is, you know, he's this vibrant character and more than anything, he wants to be famous. He loves attention. So Capote's big gay book is described as a poetic explosion in highly suppressed emotion. That's how he described it. Okay. It's a Southern Gothic it features a decrepit mansion, a ghost, and a flamboyant gay cousin. So <laughs> I'm calling both of these books the big gay books mm-hmm. um, because they <laughs> they were. But Capote's book is more subtle. There's definitely gay characters and gay themes. But okay. if you want to see the main character as gay, you have to be reading it through a queer lens. You have to look for the subtext. Okay. It's, it's not as frank and as clear as what Vidal wrote, right? Vidal's main character has sex with his best friend like a third of the way through the book. And they talk about it. And then the rest of the book, he's trying to get back to that guy. Whereas in Capote's book, the main character is too young for sexual behavior, but he's, like, learning and accepting things about himself. But it's all very, you know, between the lines. So, if you were going to read one of these books, which one do you think you would want to read? It's interesting because I feel like, based on uh, how these two people present and how they sort of see the world, I would imagine that Gore Vidal would have written something that was a little more, like, between the lines. Right. Exactly. That's, that would have been my impression and that, that Truman Capote would have just been like, this is it. Mm-hmm. We're throwing our legs in the air. <laughs> exactly. We're not worried about ghosts and, 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 and allegories. <laughs> We're just letting it all hang out. I would think that would be the case. But based on this, I would want to read Truman Capote's book first. I've never read anything from either of these people. And I, I do think I would enjoy Truman Capote's book because Truman Capote is not code switching for anyone. No, he is not. For anyone. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And Gore Vidal is doing it <laughs> as soon as he walks out the door. So in the big gay book competition of 1948, Delta, you declare Capote the winner? <laughs> yes. She's letting you have it. <laughs> okay. She is letting you have it. Well, 
The New York Times and readers everywhere agreed with you. They loved Capote's book, and it was on the bestseller list for nine weeks. And Truman Capote becomes like the darling of like new American literature because of other voices, other rooms. But you know what I'll tell you? I'll tell you a secret advantage that he had that has nothing to do with what was written on the pages. (laughs) Capote may have won over everyone because you know how people like to judge a book by a cover? Right. He had something on his cover that people kind of freaked out about. So I want to share my screen with you. I'm seeing what looks like a, a young boy. I maybe I mean he looks like he's in his someone looks like they're in their early twenties, mm-hmm. but but looks much younger than that. But looks like an adult. Mm-hmm. There's almost a very well. There's a very feminine quality about the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's sort of on a, like a, a chaise long or a a fainting yeah. couch, you know, like a like a fainting couch mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, not startled, but um, you've happened upon me. <laughs> Yes, very. Hi. You've happened upon me. And he's looking like directly into the lens. He's There's right. a deep piercing something about it. So this is Capote. This is a picture of, of Truman Capote. And this was on the book. And people just went wild for it. They just, they were scandalized and they loved it. And can you um, uh, guess? One? Oh, the hand on the cross. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really honestly. I wasn't really noticing that until I like because I was looking at the face, yes. and I was trying to figure out if he had like what his clothing was. But yes, there's a hand on the crotch for sure. <laughs> so when I first saw this, I was like, "What are they talking about? That hand's just on his belt loop or something." But the yeah, closer you look, the of... more it's it's on his dick. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. He's ready to <laughs> he's ready to do things. This picture was described in the Los Angeles Times uh, saying that Capote looked as if he were dreamily contemplating some outrage against conventional morality. Mm. So everybody sees that he's holding his dick and it maybe helped sell more copies of the book than, you know, what was written on the inside. Right. Um, one person who was uh, became obsessed with this photo was a 20-year-old named Andy Warhol who wrote fan letters to Capote, um, Warhol's first one-man show was 15 drawings based on the writing of Truman Capote. Oh, he was in love. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know there's no social media at the time, but is there any sort of backlash about this? Are there like straight husbands that are like, why are you reading this? Like, (laughs) Or who is consuming it? I think it's the... You know, upper crust, the intelligentsia, the literature types. And uh, I think he's embraced at this time. It's just subversive enough. And I'll tell you what. Vidal was too subversive. Vidal's book got him blacklisted. Okay, here we go. This is what what I'm concerned about. (laughs) An editor at his own publisher told Vidal, you will never be forgiven for this book. 20 years from now, you will still be attacked for this because he dared to say that his characters had sex and were two men. He was just too too flagrant about it. Yeah. He wasn't coy enough. He wasn't winking enough, you know, because I'm sure Capote could like deny that he was. Yeah, he could. Critics of the New York Times swore to not review another book by Vidal. He was really screwed over. Vidal said... It was believed in right-wing circles that I invented same sexuality in 1948 with The City and the Pillar. 
that nothing like that had ever happened in the United States until my book. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no gay sex before 1948. <laughs> Come on. I feel like Prometheus having brought fire from heaven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Why are all these people so so full of themselves? Yeah, so full of shit. <laughs> well, well-behaved women rarely make history, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> but in spite of the backlash to this book, or maybe because of it, The City and the Pillar becomes a cult gay classic and eventually sells really well over time. It is now seen as one of the most important works of post-World War II gay literature. So he gets that, but it takes time. <laughs> And in the meantime, Vidal just gets more and more jealous of Capote. After the break, we'll hear about how he lashes out. So the year of the big gay book clash, as I was calling it, um, both Capote and Vidal are living in New York City, and they run in the same circle. And this is the late 40s. That's right, 1948. Okay. And they are both friends with Tennessee Williams, who was an openly gay, famous playwright. He wrote uh, Streetcar Named Desire, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and The Glass Menagerie. So Vidal remembers his first time of meeting Capote like this. My first impression, as I wasn't wearing my glasses, was that was a colorful ottoman. When I sat down, it squealed. It was Truman. <gasps> so <Whoa>. Vidal... <laughs> He well, literally sat on Capote. <laughs> were they that drunk? Or, I mean... Well, you said he didn't have his glasses. And Truman, you know, wore very... Like, I'm imagining what if he's wearing, like, a bright plaid coat. Jesus Christ. I, I think there was alcohol involved. <laughs> probably. Probably. Now, when Capote tells this story, it, there's no sitting or squealing. <laughs> but Vidal was still an asshole. Um, here's Capote's version. Vidal was very snippy and snotty. He said, I'm Gore Vidal. Who are you? I said, I'm Truman Capote. And he said, oh, I've heard of you. You're the little boy who wrote the novel about the hillbillies. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. And then we sort of smiled at each other. And that was that. <laughs> shady. Why so shady? So shady. Come on. So around this time, Life magazine runs this story about the new generation of up-and-coming writers, and mm. both Vidal and Capote are featured in it. But they feature a huge picture of Capote and just not a little good. tiny one of Vidal. It's not going to go good. It never goes good. <laughs> it never goes good. And it, you know what is so funny is that Vidal mentions this story over and over that Capote had the big picture, but he mentions it in such a way to be like, Capote was so show-offy and egotistical. Well, it's like, Vidal, you're the one who 40 years later is writing about this in your book <laughs> and still remembers. I already feel like th that uh, Vidal's problem with Capote is the fact that Capote is so comfortable being himself. Yeah. And I feel like Vidal is so, so bothered. And I feel bad for him. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he thinks like, you know, I'm not one of those kind of gays. I'm not gay. Maybe it's because that book was so, you know, shit on and he received such a difficult time for that, that he then was like, OK, so you can't be gay. You have to hide it away. And then he mm -hmm. sees this other person out there just sort of 
letting it all out. He's like, well, how come Truman gets to do this and I don't? Right. How come he gets to be comfortable with himself? And when I did the comfortable with myself thing, you know, people freaked out. Can we write up a, a send up to this and call it pity in the cellar? <laughs> pity in the cellar. I think cellar. we could. Pity in the like cellar. So... Capote apparently once told a neighbor, now this is according to the neighbor, so who knows, that the reason that Vidal hated Capote was that Capote was in love with Vidal and that Vidal had rejected him. I could see something like this happening. I could see that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't doubt that that could happen. Especially at that time. I mean, you know, we're more free to... Know that, um, you know, you don't have to present a certain way to be a certain way with your sexual identity or whatever. But I mean, there's that whole storyline that maybe still exists in a way of like the the top is masculine. Mm. The bottom is feminine. And so Mm -hmm. in order to desire if, if you're an effeminate gay in order to desire somebody else, you need the opposite because they can only provide Right. Uh, that stimulation. And so that, that I think that, that maybe that plays into that to people. Right. Well, um, Vidal denied the story. He said, Capote was not in love with me. He did not confess his love to me. I did not reject him. Like, none of this is happening. This is just another one of Capote's stories. Another one of his lies. So at a certain point, Vidal gets sort of obsessed with Capote's stories, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I want to read you a section from one of his memoirs. Vidal wrote several. I caught Truman out in a dozen or so lies that everyone else preferred to believe. I can't think what labor of Hercules I thought I had undertaken, and certainly to no useful end, because the instant lie was Truman's art form, small but paradoxically authentic. One could watch the process. A famous name would be mentioned. The round, pale fetus face. Wow. What a rude thing to call him. uh, (laughs) Would suddenly register a sort of tick as if a switch had been thrown. Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh, I know her intimately. I was with her when Franklin died. She hated him, you know. And of course she was in love with Marlene. In fact, she and Marlene and I were together in Marlene's suite at the pier. When suddenly Eleanor came rushing in. Oh, she was so big, stark naked too, from the bedroom. To say that the president was dead. So Marlene... So this is Vidal saying, like, this is the kind of crazy story Capote would come up with. To watch Capote's face as he added detail after detail was to observe the raw creative process in its primal fury. During the summer of 1948, Truman and I met Camus. Camus was much involved with the actresses in those days. But before summer was over, Truman was telling everyone that Camus was so madly in love with him and that he would come to his hotel, importantly, in the middle of the night, wanting yet again to hold that dwarvish boy in his loving arms. Oh, my God. Why do people do this in these memoirs? I don't know. They just tell on themselves. <laughs> they really do. And and also the language that's being used mm-hmm. suggests that they're like enjoying it in a way. Yes. I mean, he's written this in prose, right? Like he's not right. just like this thing happened. Then this happened. He's like, no, right. let me go on a fantasy about the story he would tell about Eleanor Roosevelt if he were to tell that story. And then I'll give you right. the story of what's something that happened. You know? Right. That's a, that's the, that's what's happened. Like, it's not even like kind of what's happening. That's what just happened. <laughs> From his own pen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Vidal, 
I mean, he seems to care a lot, right? He is up in Capote's business. And yeah, maybe Capote is a big liar. But why do you care so much, Fidel? Do you think Truman Capote ever got in drag to hit it with these straight guys? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I don't know. I think so. It's I a, mean, it's a, it's a it's a behavior. It is a behavior. Yeah, I mean, he's he's already wearing some very capes. Yeah, flamboyant, fun outfits. Yeah, and I mean, I think Capote like used his fame as this flamboyant character. To work yeah. his way into upper echelon societies yeah, and course. to meet people. And, you know, Vidal said he was a part of the quote unquote cafe society or mm-hmm. the jet set class, you know, and that he himself, you know, turned away from all that, having come from an upper class family. It's so funny how much Vidal like frames himself in his identity in opposition to what Capote is up to. Right. Like, you did not have to mention Capote so many times in your memoir. But you're stuck on it. Exactly. Vidal is obsessed with him. One time they were together at a Tennessee Williams get-together, and uh, Capote was comparing their two books. And Capote was said, oh, at least I have style. Which, rude, Capote, that's rude. But Vidal said, of course you do. You stole it from Carson McCullers, along with a bit of Eudora Welty. And and then Capote cut him off, and he said, better than stealing from the Daily News. And then Tennessee broke in, rolling his eyes and said, I've never heard such a conversation. Please, you're making your mother ill. Calling himself the mother of these two. (laughs) Right. This is very, I mean, it's very, very, very gay. I mean, this is very queer. Uh, Not laughing at it like it's so funny. It's just so succinct. I mean, it's so, this sounds like, I don't know, like three drag queens talking to each other. Yes, very much so. I was like, oh, I've seen this scene on uh, yeah. Drag Race or Dragula. Yes. Like, I've seen this. Yeah. So Vidal, as we've said, is guilty of being judgmental of more feminine men. He often made fun of Capote's stature, his mannerisms, his outfits. He made fun of well, the he way he- But he sat on him. Yeah, he sat on him. He made fun of the way he talked. Anytime he told a story about Capote, he did a voice. And he did like a lisp and like a high voice thing, which is rude. These two were dicks to each other. I would argue that Vidal was a bigger dick, although Capote was not innocent. They were mean to each other throughout their careers in the 1950s. But when the 1960s roll around, things between these two get serious. And we will come to that after the break. So until the mid-60s, Vidal worked while suffering for his big gay book that he had put out, right? Like, he was writing under a pseudonym. He was having to write mystery novels to make ends meet. I mean, it sucks. Yeah. It's an ugly feeling, and I, and, and it is, I can see why even then, you know, this 20 years later or whatever, why this rivalry would still be happening. Yeah. It's about 15, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, 1964, Vidal finally gets respect under his own name. He puts out a book called Julian, and it's a fictional retelling of the real Roman emperor named Julian. Okay. This Julian book gets very popular and is on the New York Times bestseller list, and they finally review it, and he's no longer blacklisted, and he's, you know, getting work. And so he's finally, you know, on the same level with Capote, and he feels like, oh, finally, I'm not having to 
to scrounge around. And he really enjoys fame. He has this quote that says, never lose an opportunity to have sex or be on television. Oh, just not gay sex. You can have gay sex. Just don't (laughs) say you're okay. Right. He exclusively has gay sex, but he does not say he's gay. Yeah, but I'm not gay. (laughs) But I'm not gay. At the same time, Capote was continuing his career. He took on writing for Broadway. He wrote for films. And then he did true crime. So the two biggest successes that Capote had came later. They came in the 1960s. The first was the film adaptation of Breakfast at Tiffany's, which he had Mm -hmm. written as like a short story, as a novella in 1958. So that was a big hit for Capote. But then in 1966, he puts out this book that he worked on for six years called In Cold Blood. And In Cold Blood, like, basically created the genre of true crime and is still held up to be one of the best true crime stories ever told. It's about a real-life quadruple murder that happened in this small town in Kansas. Capote arrived in the town and starts, like, getting the story from people before the murder is solved. So I think that that's... That's interesting. Yeah. So that comes out. It's this huge hit. But as Vidal and Capote are both gaining more fame and attention, they're also getting attention for their shit-talking of each other. It continues. Capote does this interview with Playgirl, which, by the way, I had to go find the Playgirl to get this the exact quote. And I did see some wieners. I didn't realize they actually had wieners in there. <laughs> in Playgirl, yes. Yes. And celebrities, a lot of celebrities have been in, in Playgirl. Wild. Just woof. Here's a quote from Playgirl. Capote says that Bobby Kennedy had Vidal thrown out of the White House. It was the only time ever that Vidal had been invited to the White House and he got drunk and he insulted Jackie's mother, whom he had Mm. never met before in his life. But I mean, he insulted her. He said something to the effect of that he had always hated her, but he had never even met the woman. And one of the guards just picked Gore up and they carried him through the door and threw him out onto Pennsylvania Avenue. Maybe he just didn't like the idea of her. Maybe that's what he meant. His stepfather was married to her. So maybe it's about that. But either way, this is, what is this? And why are you telling Playgirl this? (laughs) Well, and you have to watch your mouth. Yes. Or you'll get thrown out. Vidal says the truth of the story was that Bobby took offense to how intimate Vidal was being with Jackie Kennedy. There's been stories, you know, about uh, obviously the Kennedys in general. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's always stories about the, the Kennedy men. And what they did and how much yeah. fun they had. But, you know, who, who knows what was happening with the Kennedy women? Sure. They weren't stupid people. I don't think anything was happening with Vidal. You never know. You never know. He's not gay. so He's not gay. That's what you have to understand. You, He only <laughs> has exclusive sex with men. Some Would of you... the Kennedy women are handsome. That's they true. are handsome women. Mm-hmm. So after this Playgirl interview, Vidal's pissed. And he has this famous quote that says, after a certain age, lawsuits take the place of sex. Oh, like what? They're that pleasurable? I suppose so. So he he decides to finally fuck Capote by suing him. Oh, and what, what is he suing him for in this case? So he says, Truman had committed libel. It was time to take a stand, and I did. It was quite expensive. (laughs) And he sues Truman Capote for libel for everything he said in that Playgirl interview. 
Does he win? Well, the suit, like, gets really drawn out. And in fact, at some point, Capote, like, countersues Vidal. <laughs> Vidal, he's claiming that he had great mental anxiety and suffering at the hands of Capote. And he demanded an apology and $1 million. <laughs> which in today's money would be $4 million. And does he get any of that? Well, the case went on for three years. Now both cases, because Capote countersues. Sure. And Capote was like, I know I can win, but I have to explain where I heard this story from to prove that I didn't make it up because it's only liable if it's a lie. And if I didn't make it up, it's not a lie. If somebody told me it and he said, I know who told me this story. It's Lee Radzowell, who is Jackie Kennedy's sister. And so he begs Lee to come testify on his behalf and she won't. And as a last-ditch effort, he has his friend, who is like a gossip columnist, call her and beg her to do it because they're closer friends. And she said, oh, Liz, which is the name of the gossip columnist, what do we care? They're just a couple of F-slurs. They're disgusting. Say the word. I'm not going to say it. Do you want to say it? (laughs) (laughs) I want to say it so much. (laughs) I feel like it's not for me. (laughs) And the thing of it is, is that Capote probably did make up all of this. I think Capote lives by the movie in his mind. You know what I mean? I think that, like, we know that. It gets flowery. It gets all Mm -hmm. over the place. Mm -hmm. I I think there's elements to all of it that probably did happen in different ways, but it all makes itself into one story. Mm -hmm. So some of the phrasing may have happened at this time, and then the looks happened at this time, and then the pushing somebody out of the way happened at this time. And then, you know what I mean? Right. And it all makes more sense when it all gets thrown together. I mean, I I feel like even the readers were probably like, oh, come on. (laughs) It's true. When I when I read it out loud to you, I was like, God, the story does not sound true. (laughs) This didn't happen all. At least it didn't happen all at once. But I mean, I think they took it with a grain of salt. I don't think you need a million dollars. Calm down. Calm down. Well, so Capote can't get anybody to testify for him. Um, and he got called an F-slur by one of his closest friends, by the way. Well, Lee probably said, like many people do, my other gay friends let me say it. <laughs> my it's other okay. gay friends say it's cool. No, but she literally said they're disgusting. So mean. Is so she lying? I mean. Maybe the gossip on, columnist was lying about her, what she said. Because this is, you know, telephone yeah. playing now at this point. While the case is still going on, and I know you want to know, what happens in the case? You've asked me, and I was like, no, I'm ditching you. I've got to keep talking about the case. Okay, so while the case is happening, Vidal and Capote are are quoted in the Washington Post, and it's like this back and forth, like – Capote gave a bunch of quotes and like then they obviously read those quotes to Vidal and he gave a bunch of quotes and then they obviously read those quotes to Capote and he gave a bunch of quotes. So right. I want to read some of those for you now. Please. And I wonder if I should do voices because how are you going to know? Oh, I think you have to. <laughs> okay. So Capote says... It's his psychosis where I'm concerned. It's not aging very well. And like any almost senile person, they go to litigation on almost anything. To which Vidal says, it's his psychosis. He has one about me. I have said several times that on his shoulders has fallen the feather boa of Hedda Hopper. 
Do you know who Hedda Hopper is? Do you know that reference? I have my favorite. My favorite. Can you Hedda, tell us? Uh, Hedda, enlighten us. Hedda Hopper had a column called Under Hedda's Hat. And she was a gossip columnist. And she would just spill the tea on everyone in a flowery way and would let everybody know what she had heard. And and I don't know that she always told everybody where she heard it, mm-hmm. but it would be like, rumor is that a mm-hmm. certain brand new ingenue actress mm-hmm. uh, on, on the set of a, you know, beep bop boop. So it would be, <laughs> I loved it. I think it was fierce. I mean, it was probably shitty and mean, but... Yeah, yeah. In my mind, I, you know, in my mind, I wish I could like go back in time and be like a, a, a head of hopper, a columnist. Yeah. Well, it's fun. Here's Vidal saying that Capote is basically the reincarnation of head of hopper. I think so. Yeah. Here's some more quotes. Capote said, Gore tells everybody I have this great sense of rivalry with him. Well, I couldn't care less. His books are totally mediocre. He says, I envy his looks and his family background. Well, I certainly don't envy his looks, and he has the thickest, coarsest features. As for his family's background, ha! I've seen a relative staggering, drunken, and toothless through the streets of East Hampton. But it would require days, hours, weeks to tell that story. Damn. <laughs> I feel like that's me. I'm always saying, it's too long of a story for me to tell you right, right now. <laughs> wow. As much as they say they don't like each other, they are caught up in... Because there's nobody else jumping in this. It's not like there's other people that are involved that are like, well, actually, I saw this and I saw that. It's just the two of them. So how do you know who's telling the truth? And so often with our rivalries, I find it hard to find like, okay, this is the one nasty thing they said publicly about each other, or this is the two nasty things. This is like a thousand things. They just were saying it all, you know? (laughs) And they're not going to stop. Um, Capote said, I remember when the Kennedys were in the White House and Gore was living in Connecticut. He would invite people up to his house and on a table was a photograph of Jackie, lovingly inscribed to Gore. It was a forgery. Then he would tell people he was going to Washington for a dinner party and he'd say, oh, I really didn't want to go, but Jackie insisted. Then he'd spend the night in a motel and come back the next morning, pretending he'd gone to the White House. I, I I feel like I've known people who have like lied about something and then have to go like above and beyond to like <laughs> protect that lie. And it's, it gives, and it's so sad because people, everyone's around. It's like, this is not true. Like right? lying to our face. It's a commitment. It kind of right. reminds me of uh, you hear this a lot in true crime where a husband loses his job and then he'll go and say he's at work, but he's really at like the Dunkin' Donuts uh-huh. for like eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't yeah. do it. Vidal says, this is pathology. Real nuthouse stuff. No matter what the judge determines, Capote has now so muddled things as to make me seem to be his equal. A pair of publicity-mad social climbers who make it a habit to libel and slander one another. Yeah. A- accurate. <laughs> you <Yeah>. participated. <laughs> you fully participated. <laughs> You're in this. So, Delta, if you were the judge in the libel case, do you think that Capote is guilty of libel? And libel is you've lied about someone and put it out in mass media. Well, I do I do believe that not being able to prove something doesn't necessarily mean disproving something. True. But 
Oh, you gays. <laughs> You're just having fun. Yeah. You're just being silly. You would think that in, in, the, in the court of public opinion, yeah. they both look just as guilty of talking shit on each other. <laughs> yes. So, but as the judge, I say throw that case out. Mm-hmm. You're yes. both fine. You're fine. We don't need this. Knock smoke. it off. Knock Get it out off. Of here. Knock it off. <laughs> Well, that's sort of what happened because Capote and Vidal settled the case. And Capote ended up having to pay some money to Vidal. Uh-huh. But Capote was broke. How so jokes on Vidal. Off of that? <laughs> How did he become broke? That is a great question. I have several theories, but I don't know the actual answer. One, he was abusing drugs and alcohol at this time, which is a mm. bummer. Two, he was this social climber. Keeping up with the high society is difficult. And yeah. no matter how much your your fancy friends pick up the checks, sometimes you do have to buy things for yourself. And right. I think that he could have been spending beyond his means to, you know, wear the fancy opera capes to, to the Met and all that. Right. That makes sense. Capote died in 1984 right. due, due to complications from drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, he was only 59 years old. He dies dies in Johnny Carson's house. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because he, at that time, was very close with Johnny Carson's wife, Joanne Carson. Oh. So that's just weird. Uh, Vidal makes some really horrible jokes about it later. He's on Johnny Carson and he says, how can I end up dead in your house? Because Capote did it. Yeah. What do you think Vidal's reaction was when he heard of Capote's death? I mean, I, th- I think he probably laughed. I think he probably yeah. figured he wanted to dance on his grave. Yeah. Although I would guess he might have even made it further about himself and like, so like, oh, I'm so sad. This is, mm. you know, amazing. Mm. I don't no, know. I, th- I think what he did was one of those that will go down in, in rivalry history of of sick burns after your rival dies. (laughs) When he was told that Capote was dead, he remarked after the briefest pause, a wise career move. Wow. Shade. More shade. (laughs) All the way to the end, man. Jesus Christ. So Delta, who wins here? Truman Capote is the winner, unfortunately, just because I think more people talk about Truman Capote in the end. Yeah. And he did put a stamp on things that Gore Vidal did not, including true crime. True. Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's is a standout. Yeah. So, which are completely different things. I feel like Gore Vidal, yeah, I mean, he contributed his whole life to things. Mm -hmm. I think when you say the name Truman Capote, more people are going to know who that is Yeah. Uh, overall. Yeah, I think Capote is seen as an artist. And Gore Vidal, right. if you know who he is, is remembered as more of like an essayist, a columnist, a political sure. talking head. He's also well known for this like debate he did with William F. Buckley. But, you know, so if you're a person who like cares about politics, like I imagine if you're a New York Times reader... You know who Gore Vidal is. Of course. But, of course. But if, if you're anybody, you probably know who Truman Capote is. Right. And I think when you say Gore Vidal, people think it's a hairdresser. 
From Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries, hosted by me, Delta Work. And me, Kelsey Padgett. I also produce the show. Gabriella Santana is our associate producer. Caitlin Pierce is our editor. Our production coordinators are Sasonia Davenport and Tamika Balance-Kalasny. Our theme music is by Allison Layton Brown. John Scott is our engineer. Our executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, and Caitlin Pierce. TJ Raphael was our development producer. 